I am very excited to get to speak with you this morning. Uh, I love when I get the opportunity to jump in and be a part of what God's doing on Sunday mornings with you guys. So uh, I want to speak to you guys today out of Zephaniah. Anybody ever read Zephaniah before? If you haven't, uh, you can do it in like 3.8 seconds because it's like three chapters long. It is super short. It's easy to read. Um, but to give you just a little bit of basis here, the primary focus of Zephaniah is talking about the judgment of God on the unrighteous and the res restoration of the faithful. Now, how many of you guys are already like, okay, this is going to be good, right? This is one of those chapters where you start reading, and it's honestly, you are like just hoping for the verse of hope when you start going through. And I'm going to give you an example of that, but I'm going to show you some really cool things out of this about where Jesus is actually found in Zephaniah. So my title for this morning, if you are taking notes, is The Restoration of the Faithful. Uh, how many of you guys know that we need that sometimes, right? Anybody ever gone through a time where you just really felt close to God and then something happened in your life and you got your perspective off and you began to walk away, you began to get your perspective on the wrong things for a season and you needed God to restore you back to who he called and created you to be? Anybody else? And that's the thing I want to talk to you about this morning. See, the Message Bible says it uh, like this. If you go in and you look at right before Zephaniah starts, it describes the book like this. We humans keep looking for the religion that will give us access to God without having to bother with people. We want to go to God for comfort and inspiration when we are fed up with the men and the women around us. We want God to give us an edge on the dog-eat-dog -dog life. Anybody feel like that's the world we live in? Right? Anybody ever feel like work would be great if I didn't have to deal with people? Anybody else? Like, that's just real life, okay? Real talk for a minute. Like, we get in that mode. It's like, hey, man, I love Christmas except for Christmas shopping, right? So you get in there, it's like, four, well, I'm kind of weird. My wife, once it gets to, like, December, she does not want to go to a store anywhere because there's just too many people. I'm the weird one that's like, let's go on December 24th and walk around the mall because it'll be fun. Um, just I like to be around people. I don't necessarily want to talk to all of them. I just like being around people. I like being in rooms full of people. Uh, so there's a difference in gifting there. But it's really easy to get frustrated by the natural that happens when it comes to people. How many of you guys know we're all flawed, right? Anybody ever got frustrated with the church before? Can I say that in church? Like, yeah, we can. We get frustrated. Let me tell you something real quick. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated with every pastor on the staff at one time or another. Why? Because we're human. We do our very best to love Jesus and to be like him, but we're still human. We still have flaws. We still have mistakes. And every one of us needs that time where we come back and we're restored to who God's called us and created us to be. So I want to jump in right there. Zephaniah 1, verses 4 through 7. Now, I hope you're prepared because this is going to be very encouraging and uplifting. I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist. I will just destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I will put an end to all of the idolatrous priests so that even the memory of them will disappear. For they go up to the roofs and they bow to the sun and the moon and the stars. They claim to follow the Lord, but they also worship Melech too. I will destroy those who used to worship me but no longer do. They will no longer ask, they no longer ask for the Lord's guidance or seek my blessing. Now, I want to pause before I get to verse 7 because there's something I want you to understand. How many of you already are like, this is incredible? 
Right? I, I'm just so encouraged and inspired for the morning. But I, I want us to really get something because there's something about this that we really do need to identify with. Typically, we read verses and portions of Scripture like this. It's like, okay, let's get to the good part where God makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. But what we need to realize is this isn't like a warning of, hey, you need to get saved and get to know Jesus because there's a cost to sin. This is talking about those who knew Jesus or knew God and walked away. You follow me? Those who understood what it was to worship God, to put their faith in God, and then turn from Him. See, there's a cost to our sin, and often we don't like to address that part. We don't like to look at that part of life because it's not what makes us feel warm and fuzzy, right? But there's a truth to it. See, I remember growing up, there was this phrase people used to always say, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, right. Let me ask you a quick question. Does anybody in here, you still have pain from words that somebody spoke over your life years ago? See, here's what we've got to understand. Sticks and stones, they may bruise you, they may break you, but those heal. Words take a lot longer. They penetrate much deeper. And here's the difference of why I'm saying that, because what you see in the natural is limited, but what you can't see tends to last longer. You follow me? And that's the principle I want us to get here because the thing about this is they used to, ba- they used to worship me. They used to ask for my guidance. Now they worship the sun and the moon and the stars. See, what it's describing here is they used to put their trust in me because they knew I was faithful, but then they got their perspective off of me. They took their perspective off of the truth of God and began to put their perspective on what they could see in the natural. Anybody ever had a situation come up in your life and life got hard and you could see the obstacle that was in front of you? You could see the fight that was going on. You were in the middle of the fight and your perspective began to become about what you could see in the natural instead of what you knew in the supernatural? The problem is when we get into that point and we begin to abandon the truth of God's Word and we begin to put our hope in what we see in the natural, that's where we begin to lose our way. That's where we begin to lose out on the call that God's put on our life because we begin to operate in our own strength, in our own power, in our own perspective. I don't know about you, but I mess stuff up. If I do it on my own, I'm going to mess it up. Like, I like to build stuff. I like to work on things, and I can do an okay job. Uh, Where's Scott Martin at? In the back. Scott likes to build stuff, okay? And he's, like, real meticulous on building. He hates building with me. I love him. He's a good guy. But when we build together, he's, like, got to measure and get it perfect. And I'm like, let's just cut it here. He's like, no, that's, I'm like, it'll be all right. Like, that's that's our joke. That's our phrase. I'm like, it'll be all right. Like, I'm going to get it as close as I can. But he's real meticulous on it. And here's the thing I want you to understand. A lot of times we begin to get our hands in stuff and we think, ah, it'll be all right. Right? Well, I, I know this is going bad. God, I know things are tight right now, but I just need to take a break from serving because life's just so tough. I need to take a break from the church to work on me. Do you realize the best place to work on you is being poured into by the people who love you and believe the same thing you believe? 
not to separate yourself from the, follow me, not to separate yourself from the structure that God has given you to uplift you and to pour into you. There may be a season where you need to step out of a place of doing something so that you can be invested in and poured into, but you don't step away from the people God's called you to be connected to. Does that make sense? We get our perspective on the wrong thing. Well, I can see this in the natural. And, you know, naturally, I got bills to pay, right? So we begin to let go of what we know in the supernatural and put our faith in what we know in the natural. Well, I know this may not be the most ethical way to get money, but, I mean, I'm not, like, robbing people, so it's okay, right? And we begin to excuse those things away, and the next thing we know, our life looks nothing like what it used to because of small compromises of our focus becoming on what we see in the natural, what we can tangibly touch instead of on the truth of the Word of God that sometimes just takes blind faith to know, God, I know you're working in my situation even though I can't see it at the moment. Because see, here's what we've got to understand. Even though this verse, this portion of Scripture, it's pretty harsh. I'm going to wipe you off the planet. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough language. Verse 7, be silent before the Lord, for the Lord, or for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has, consec he has consecrated those who he has invited. And here's what we got to understand. Where this continues to go is here's what's going to happen because of our unfaithfulness. This is what's going to happen because there's consequence to sin. Now, he doesn't say Go get a goat. Go, go, go make your sacrifices to fix the stuff that you've done wrong. Catch this. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. Even the middle of your disobedience, God is working, trying to bring away, to restore you to the love and the grace and the compassion of who God is. Because when it says the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, it's not saying go get something to fix your problem. He's saying I've prepared something for you. And this is beginning to speak of Jesus. Because there's a cost to your sin. But the beauty is that cost was paid by Jesus. And it's the relationship with him that gives us access to God the Father and allows us to really enter into relationship. See, a lot of times we use Jesus like a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? It's like, well, I know Jesus, so here we go. This is my get-out-of-hell-free card. Now I can do whatever I want, and my life's going to be good. And then when things go wrong, it's like, no, 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 God, remember that time we had a conversation? I need you to fix this, right? My car's broke down. God, remember we had a conversation? I need a new car. I need you to fix this, right? And it goes from relationship to Jesus being your magic genie that, well, we had a conversation once. Now everything that goes wrong, that's, you're supposed to fix that. See, that's a misleading gospel that a lot of us have begun to buy into that because we have a relationship with God, everything in your life's going to go perfect. Let me help you really quick. When Jesus called the disciples, he never said, hey, come follow me, and you will be famous. You will be rich beyond measure, and people will love you. No, he said, come follow me. People are going to hate you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to try to kill you all because of me. See, we've, we've missed that somewhere because we've taken out the fact that there's a cost to our sin. And here's part of where I told the story earlier. I want you to 
understand there's a cost to your sin. You may not see it right now in the physical, but there's a cost in the supernatural. Right? I, I know this is like real exciting. You guys are shouting me down. It's good. Uh, but we've got to understand something. There is a cost to doing something wrong. It changes something even about you, right? How many of you have ever done something wrong and nobody even knew about it? Then weeks down the road, you're in the altar. Worship is going, and you are tearfully just, God, I just don't even know if I can worship you. This, this is going. And all of a sudden, this becomes this barrier between you and your relationship with God, but nobody knows it exists. It's because there's a consequence to our sin. Do you follow me? But the moment we get in relationship and we're able to uncover that to Jesus, he's able to bring that in and restore that. He's able to bring that in and become something so much greater because God's purpose and his intent was not to destroy you. It was to restore you. Hebrews 10.10, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. See, here's the thing. A lot of times we want to use Jesus as our get-out-of-hell-free card so that we can live our life however we want. And what Jesus wants us to do is accept relationship with him and begin to pursue the righteousness of God. Do you guys know the reason that we're able to have relationship with God is because we become righteous in the sight of God? Because God can't look on sin. You follow me? You know how you become righteous? Not by doing the best you can do. See, we've missed it in this. We think a lot of times, well, if I can get a relationship with Jesus and then I can try really hard not to sin anymore, I can be a good Christian. And God never called you to try really hard not to sin anymore. He called you to be in relationship and covenant with him, investing in the world around you. See, there's a difference in perspective. In fact, Romans 12, 21 says it this way. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not about getting a relationship with God and not doing wrong. It's about getting a relationship with God and giving everything you have to doing right. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. So did he just say it's okay for me to do anything wrong? That's not what I said. Okay, what I'm saying is it's your perspective. And if your perspective is on, let me try really hard not to sin. I'm going to try really hard not to sin. I'm going to really try not to go back to drinking. I'm going to try really hard not to go back to drugs. I'm going to really try really hard not to go back to pornography. I'm going to try really hard not to get entangled in this issue anymore. That issue still controls you. Whether you're entangled in it or not, because your focus is still the issue. God didn't save you so that you could watch your issue from a distance. He saved you. He redeemed you so that you could walk away from your issue. See, he wants to do something in you that allows you to walk away from your issue, and then my time isn't filled with, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. It's, who can I invest in? Who can I help? The, the guy on the street corner that is there every single week. See, when my oldest son was probably four years old, we had this guy who he sat on the corner every day with a sign that said, Jesus is coming, repent. Every day, 
He was there. When we would leave for work, he was there. When we would come home from work, he was there. One day, I was by myself, and I pulled over, and I just sat, and I talked to him for a while. His name was Lonnie. And I said, what's your story, Lonnie? You sit here every day. And he said, I quit my job because God radically saved me, and I want people to know the love of Jesus. And we had a conversation. You know what? Every day when I drove by, can I be human for a minute? Can we be honest? You ever drive by somebody on the side of the road and you just try really hard not to make eye contact? Right? Because I had done that for months. Well, I don't want to be that Christian that stands on the corner and screams at everybody about, you're sinners and you're going to hell, so I'm just doing my own thing. And I begin to create an idea of this guy's perspective until I had a conversation with him. And then it changed everything about it because then when I pulled up to that corner, I rolled my window down. Hey, Lonnie, how you doing this morning? When it was cold out, I realized, hey, Lonnie's going to be on this corner. I'm going to take a cup of coffee because when I drive by, I'm just going to hand it to him because he's going to be out there doing what he feels like God's called him to do. You know what? My four-year-old boy watched that. and <laughs> He translated it to this. We're going downtown, and we pull up on the corner, and there's somebody else on the corner. He goes, hey, Dad, what's that guy's name? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, son. He's like, well, you know, Lonnie, I thought you just knew everybody out here. I was like, no, I don't. But he observed a moment of not just kindness. He observed a moment of the love and the graciousness of Jesus Christ. And it changed his perspective on every person he saw at a corner from that day forward. Do you follow me? When our perspective gets on the wrong thing, we begin to formulate ideas and arguments off the assumption of a situation instead of the truth and the love of God's Word. Who's God called you to be? He hasn't called you to be entangled and live your life trying really hard not to do wrong. He's called you to try, live your life trying really hard to do everything right. Guess what? You're going to fail once in a while. He knew that. That's why he set you apart from the moment that he created you. You know how I know that? Because let's jump back to verse 7, that real awesome portion of Scripture we, we just read. Because I want you to hear the last part again. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and he has consecrated those he's invited. See, he planned for you before you existed. He planned a sacrifice for your sin before you sinned. So before you say, God can't use me because you don't understand my past, God can't use me because all the things that have gone wrong, understand that God called you, he chose you, and he set out a plan to redeem you before you ever messed up. But we've got to begin to pursue the things of God more than the preferences of our culture. See, at that time, it says that they worshipped Melech as well as God. And God looked at that and said, no, no, you've turned from me. See, here's the problem. We can't live in a culture that says I'm going to accept everything the culture says to be okay and I'm going to serve Jesus because when we try to do both, Jesus says, no, you're not serving me anymore. Do you follow me? 
That doesn't mean that we hate people that disagree with us. That doesn't mean that you can't have a civil conversation with someone who believes differently than you. I don't care who you're voting for. If you can't talk to someone else voting for the other person without trying to throw something at them or scream at them, you have the problem. Can I say that? I hope so. I just did. So if I'm not here next week, you know I shouldn't have said it. But we've got to understand, we get this idea and it gets so wrapped up in the emotion of what we feel and what we see that we neglect what we know to be true. And guess what I know to be true? When Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he wrote it mostly in prison because people hated Christians and they persecuted them. And God was still God. And lives were changed because God was still God. So when I look at the culture of, and the climate of the world that we live in and I become panicked and afraid, I know God is still God because guess what? Nobody is being crucified down the street in this country yet and God is still God. So before I look at that and say there's no more hope, there's nowhere for us to go, God is still God. In the middle of your situation that you've been praying for and you don't see anything and your perspective has gotten on what you see in the natural, God is still God. The problem is when we begin to love our life more than we love the presence of God. We've lost our way. See, this life is temporal. You weren't created for what's temporal. God says he put eternity in your heart. When you were created, you were created for something more than this moment. Hear me this morning because sticks and stones may break your bones, but what is spoken into your life is eternal. Do you follow me? Because what happens in the natural, it may hurt you for a moment, but what God declared over you in the supernatural will reign far beyond this life. Second Corinthians 5.21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for sin so that we can be made right through Christ. See, we've got to get our perspective back to understanding who we're called to be. And we are called to be Jesus to our world. You are called to be the expression of the heart of God to the world around you. Do they see that in you? When something goes wrong in the workplace, do they see that in you or do they see you blow up because you're frustrated because, man, you messed up again? Or do they see the love and the grace of Jesus Christ shining through your life that in the middle of a crisis you can stay steady and you can stay calm? Because the culture of your life is not weathered by the storm, but the culture of your life sets the tone for the storm that you're in. God's called us to live in a way that is so far beyond what we've settled for. But we've got to understand our righteousness doesn't come from how good we are. Our righteousness comes from the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You will never be good enough for God to love you. 
because he loved you before you ever did anything. You didn't earn it. It would be like this. It would be like someone coming up to you and saying, guess what? I want to bless you with a million-dollar house. And you'd be like, no, 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 I can't take that. Here's five bucks. It's almost more insulting to even try to pay it back than accepting the gift. Do you follow me? But we do that every day of our life. Instead of accepting the gift that God has given us, we try to earn it by if I can just be good enough, I can be a good Christian. The whole time he's not wanting you to be good enough, he's wanting you to be submitted enough. Because he'll tell you what to do. He'll teach you how to be. But we've got to be submitted to who God's called us to be. We've got to get our focus off of what we see in the natural, the emotion of the moment, and get it back to the foundation of the Word of God and the truth of the Scripture. What's God called you to do in your life? Who's He called you to be? Jesus didn't overcome temptation by looking and saying, look, I'm the Son of God. Back up. He overcame temptation by quoting the Word of God, by saying, this is what the Word of God says I am. This is who the Word of God says I am. It doesn't matter what you say because I know what the Word of God says I am. The pain of this life is momentary. But what God has spoken over you is eternal. Please hear me about that this morning. It is bigger than the moment that you feel because that moment will pass. Do you hear me? I've I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and let me tell you, I've got a whole lot of painful moments. They pass quickly, really quickly. Sometimes it's creepy. You guys with kids know what I'm talking about. They, like, run through the house, and they fall, and, like, literally the world just shattered. We need to rush them to the emergency room. Their arm is falling off, and then it's like Barney comes on. It's like, ah! Oh, never mind. What just happened? We're a lot like that in our Christian life. God, it's all going to come to an end. What can I do? This world's falling apart. I got bills. My marriage, what am I going to do? And then the next thing happens, and that crisis doesn't exist anymore because this person won't talk to me, right? And we jump from crisis to crisis to crisis, begging God to fix all of our little problems. And the whole time, he's looking at it saying, listen, I've got it under control. Just trust me. It'll be over in a minute. It'll be over in a minute. And your purpose is bigger than this moment. Just don't lose sight of who God's called you to be. Don't lose sight of who he created you to be. Because what we begin to chase in the natural for our own security God wants you to have more in the supernatural because of who he's called you to be. Do you follow me? Well, God, I mean, I can only, I know you've called me to get involved in a small group, but, you know, I'm really trying to work at all the, I've got two, three jobs, I'm trying to pay this off. I understand that there's something great about that, and I applaud the work ethic that you're going to get out, and you're going to work for what you want God to do in your life and not just sit back and ask him to take care of it. But at the same time, are you neglecting the people that he's called you to? Because if you are, You've missed the point. See, that, and I'm landing on this for just a moment because when this says that they also worship Melech, if you go back and you look at who that was, it often says 
that it was a God that they would sacrifice their children to. Now, follow me because I'm going to put this together really quick. They began to worship the sun, the moon, and the stars. And Melek, how many of us begin to pursue what we see in the natural? And we begin to neglect our families. We begin to neglect the people that God has called us to the most. For the almighty dollar that's going to pass. Right? But if I can get a better car, people will think I'm somebody. Are you kidding me? That kid already thinks you're somebody. Be somebody that's in their life. Be somebody that's there for him. Well, I don't have kids. How does this apply to me? I promise you, there is somebody who you have impacted their life that you have no idea. Be somebody in their life. Well, I can't be a part of this because I've got to do, I've got, I've got to do, I've got to be. And our whole life is pursuing what we want to be and what we want to do. And the truth of it is God says, I've already called you to be somebody, and I'm already cultivating something inside of you. You're impacting people around you that you have no idea you're impacting. I tell our students this all of the time, but we talk about influence, and we think influence requires us to have infinite amounts of money and power. But the truth of it is, when we ask who's impacted you the most in your life, you're not going to name the person that gave you a million dollars. You're going to name the person who spent the most time with you. So stop measuring your success in this life by how much you can achieve and how much you can gain and start measuring it by the relationships that God has invested you in, in your life and called you to. Zephaniah 3.15, for the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disappear the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. And at last your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. See, this entire book, there's so much emphasis on the judgment that comes that often we lose sight of the judgment of, I'm sorry, we get so focused on the judgment that we begin to lose sight of the redemption. Because this concludes talking about God will restore the faithful and those who have remained, those who have returned to him, those who have kept things right. I'll restore you. I will live among you. I'll be a part of your life. Hear me, you've never done anything too wrong for the love of God to move in your life. We simply have to return to him. You follow me? We simply have to return to him. Because here's the thing. Often in the middle of our trouble, we think God left. He never left. We walked away. He's still standing in the same spot. All we got to do is turn around. But we get so caught up and consumed by what we see, what we feel, the emotion of the moment that we lose sight of what we know is established in our life. God's called you for more. The middle of that situation, God's moving, whether you can see it or not. Praying mom, praying grandma, in the middle, he's just so rebellious. He just doesn't listen. He just won't come. He hangs up on me when I talk about Jesus. That's because Jesus is stirring something. And it's convicting, and he doesn't want to hear that right now. And just because in the natural, it looks like he's not listening, does not mean God's not moving in the supernatural. But my marriage, it's just, we're struggling so much right now. 
If you're struggling, that means there's still a fight in you. You hear me? Some of you need to hear me this morning. If you're still struggling, that means there's still a fight in you. It's not over. It's not finished. There's still a fight that God is calling to and he's drawing out. But we've got to get our focus off of what we see in the natural because he's doing something in the supernatural. So here's what I want to ask. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in this room and you say, you know, the truth of it is I've walked away from a relationship with God. I don't have that relationship with God that I need. Maybe you've never had it to begin with or you had it and you walked away from it. But today, today you want that relationship to be right. Today you want to walk in step with the purpose and plan of God for your life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you really quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. If you would, everybody repeat after me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins for focusing on myself. Help me to be more like you in every area of my life. Forgive me be the Lord of my life. Amen. See, here's the thing. It's not just coming into a relationship that fixes everything. It's pursuing that relationship that takes you deeper. So the second part of what I want to ask, the worship team is going to begin to play in just a moment. I want to ask everybody to stand to your feet. You see, there's two, really two things that I talked about this morning. The first is that relationship that God wants to restore and he wants to fix, and we just prayed for that. But the second thing is when our perspective is on the wrong thing. And I believe there's some of us in here today that our perspective has been on the wrong thing, and it's been dominating who he's called you to be. It's been dominating your perspective. And this morning, he wants to change something about that perspective. He wants to bring that perspective back to who he's called you to be in the truth and the stability of Jesus Christ in your life. And he's given us a secret weapon because your worship is warfare. So what I want to ask you to do we're going to begin to sing. And if there's something that you are believing God for, there is something that has been dominating your perspective. I want you to lift both hands in the air, and I want you to begin to war and declare the presence and the power of God in that situation. And God will begin to move. How do I know? Because his word says so. And I may not see it in the natural, but I know in the supernatural, my God is faithful. So I'm going to believe him. I'm going to trust him.